The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gagillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at and slash hypergig for details. Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. The future of wireless is here, and it's transparent. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon, just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. No hidden fees, no surprises, no, really. What are you waiting for? Get with the times and switch to Visible at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Joe McCormick. And today we're bringing you some of your listener mail. We haven't done this in quite a while, so we had an enormous mailbag to plow through. Uh, and on top of that, I have to say, I, I don't know exactly what happened, but I think we have lost a significant amount of listener mail that came in in September and October. And I don't, I don't know exactly why that happened, but there was sort of a gap in there. Uh, so I apologize if, if your message you were hoping to hear is, is among that group, but, uh, but we've still got a lot of great stuff to get to today. Yeah. Well, we'll have to ask Carney, our mailbot about this, but I don't know. I feel like we all have some, some missing time from September and October, you know, some, some, some blank spots in our recollection. Uh, where did that time go? What happened? It's like the uh, the part of your your eye spot that you can't see because of the optic nerve, but you don't mm-hmm. even notice that you can't see it. It's the yeah. the invisibility is invisible. Yeah. Uh, now another thing to, that we're going to go ahead and mention about this listener mail is that in some respects this is the final listener mail, or at least this is probably going to be the final full length listener mail episode that publishes as an episode, a regular episode of stuff to blow your mind on a Tuesday or a Thursday. 
That's right, because we are gradually, as we can, transitioning to a more daily publication schedule. We're going to be putting out some shorter episodes that come through on various days. But one idea we've been kicking around is basically a weekly episode that we've been sort of tentatively calling the Flaming Barrel Chats. And these will quite often be listener mail focused. Yeah, so... Yeah, just to to reassure everyone, you're not going to get six episodes, like six full episodes of Stuff to Blow Your Mind per week. It's going to be you know, two core episodes. It's going to be the Vault episode. It's going to be the Weird House Cinema on Friday and then a couple of small things. So hopefully that won't overwhelm anybody. But as always, write in and let you let us know what you think as this begins to uh, uh, to happen. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll just see how it goes. All right. I think we should jump right into the bag. All right. Let's do it. What do we have first, Joe? Well, we got a lot of great feedback to our episode. I think it was a couple of episodes about nails, fingernails and toenails. Mm. Uh, We got into some surprisingly religious territory, including that one really interesting paper that was trying to explain the prevalence of religious rituals about the proper disposal of nails. And the explanation in this paper appealed to people trying to reenact extremely ancient reconstructed creation myths in which the earth is made out of the body parts of a dead primordial god. And so we we got a number of messages on the theme of, of nails and religious traditions. And this first one comes from Alice. Are you ready? Let's do it. Alice says, hi, Joe and Robert. Thanks for the two-parter on fingernails. Love when you guys take a seemingly mundane topic and find fascinating tidbits about it from so many different angles. I emailed today because when you were discussing fingernails and creation myths, one instantly came to mind that might not be familiar to American listeners. It's the legend from Maori culture about Maui and his grandmother, Mahuika, the goddess of fire. In the story, Maui wonders where fire comes from. He's only ever seen it made from existing fire or lightning. So one night, because he's a bit of a trickster, he extinguishes all the fires in the village. In the morning, when everyone wakes up, he's told to go visit his grandmother to get more fire. Now, here's where we get back to fingernails. His grandmother married Awahi Roa, a comet, and their children are fingernails of fire on Mahuika's hand. There are some gorgeous depictions of this in various books, some of which I've included, and she did attach some pictures. Uh, The story continues with Mahuika pulling off one of her fingernails to give to Maui to take back to the village. Because he's a trickster, Maui extinguishes the fire and goes back again and again for more fingernails until Mahuika is down to her last nail. She's furious at this stage and throws the last nail into a tree. The legend continues, but long story short, this certain tree is known for being an easy tree to start a fire with. Anyway, hope that was interesting. It's also referenced in one of the songs in Disney's Moana, which is cool. Thanks for the work you guys do. It's been great to have something sane to look forward to in this topsy-turvy time of lockdowns and craziness that we're going through, Alice. Well, thanks, Alice. I I did not know that myth. I thought it was really interesting. Kind of makes me want to watch Moana. Yeah, I I love the idea of magical fingernails as a as a as a, as a limited uh, magical item. So you you know you can literally count on your 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 fingers how many times you can use this ability. It's uh it, it makes me wonder why we haven't seen this more in in uh, science fiction or fantasy in general. You know, because you could have some sort of like robotic fingernails that you launch, you know, and your your hero gets down to the last couple of them or something. What's your IDKFA code for fingernails? Infinite fingernails. 
Now we got a couple of messages from listeners who were, uh, who, who had ideas about fingernails from various athletic perspectives, one about ballet and one about weightlifting. And I thought these were really interesting. Rob, you want to read one of these? Sure. This one comes to us from Hannah. Hi, Robert and Joe. I just finished listening to your pair of fingernail episodes and wanted to write in with not one, but two examples, fingers and toes, on nail length hindering ability to perform tasks, albeit in a kind of niche way. I'll start with toenails, since I assume it is a more unusual example. I'm a professional dancer, and although not a ballerina, a lot of my training up through college was based in ballet, including work on point. For those who don't know uh, this, this refers to a technique of ballerinas dancing on the tips of their toes. Ballet terminology is a lot of French. (laughs) Anyway, dancing on point is uh, achieved by a combination of strengthening the muscles of the feet and legs to be able to support the full body's weight on a fully extended foot. With additional support from specialized stiff shoes, uh, usually layers of fabric with hardened glue uh, with flattened tips to help give a wider surface to balance on, distribute weight more evenly across the foot, Uh, and provide more stability in that extended shape. Although apparently a lot of people mistakenly think they are balancing on the toe knuckle with the toes curled under, it is actually the very tip of the toe that is the point of contact. And I I know for my point, I I recognize this because I've I've seen Suspiria, so I know what this looks like. (laughs) Man, this is one of those things that I I cannot fathom the athleticism of this, the the standing on the toes. It just seems uh, uh, superhuman to me. That and the spinning. Uh, I recently did a a, a video yoga uh, thing uh, from a a teacher that I hadn't used before. And the teacher asked me to uh, ask whoever's watching the video to spin around like five times. And I did. And then I had to lay down because I felt like it had had wounded my soul to spin around just five times. And, of course, you see uh, these various uh, spinning athletics and in, say, uh, ballet or in figure skating. And I know there are certain tricks to it. Perhaps this is something we could come back and d- discuss in the future, actually, because mm-hmm. you get into a lot of uh, of interesting biology and also cultural practices. Yes, yeah. now that I think about it, we should do an episode on spinning around in circles. The centrifugal human. Yeah, let's do it. Let's, let's, let's bookmark it. Uh, but uh, l- let's get back to Hannah here. Oh, yes, yes. I was reading an email, wasn't I? Let's see. Um, <laughs> When wearing these shoes, you are acutely aware of the length of your toenails, and it is extremely important to keep them trimmed short for a number of reasons. First, if the toenail extends past the end of the toe, it is the body's first point of contact with the floor, which is extremely painful and can possibly break, crack, or bruise the nail or nail bed. The nail is definitely not strong enough to support the full weight of the body. Also, because the toes are packed tightly together in the end of the shoe, you could possibly cut a neighboring toe with the offending long toenail. I, I am I'm shivering. Less directly related, the pain and discomfort of a too long toenail pressing into the floor causes the dancer to shift their weight back ever so slightly to relieve the pressure, throwing them out of proper alignment. The technique requires all of the joints, toe, ankle, knee, hip, to be stacked vertically if viewed from the side, although 
partly an aesthetic preference. Aligning the joints like so makes balancing much easier and takes unnecessary, uneven pressure off of said joints. Shift out of alignment and you add pressure and lose balance. The strain on your joints puts you at risk for chronic issues like tendonitis and brusitis, while the lack of stability increases the chances of an acute injury like a sprained ankle. In a field where such injuries can be career-ending, every bit of prevention counts. This e- this part of this email has been a horror movie for me. <laughs> yeah, you don't even need the rest of Suspiria, right? Right. My second example is a little shorter. In quarantine, my partner has been teaching me to play guitar, and I noticed I was having trouble playing certain chords. I keep my fingernails on the longer side, though nothing extreme, and though they had never hindered me before, I found I had trouble pressing the strings down hard enough to play the chords without my nail bumping into the fretboard. He told me I would have to wear them shorter to progress, but I didn't want to give up my long nails and looked for a different solution. Then I thought of Dolly Parton. She has much longer, flashier acrylic nails and gets by all right. What does she do? After some Googling, I found that she seems to rely on open tuning and uh, what is this, bar chords? You're the guitar person. Yeah, bar chords are a way of – so there are open chords that usually play with your fingertips near the top of the neck of the guitar. And then there are bar chords where you use usually – one finger, usually your index finger, to sort of like cap all of the strings and then press down some other strings on top of that. Uh, so bar chords um, allow you to sort of like play the same chord forms anywhere on the neck of the guitar. Okay. Uh, she continues, the guitar is is tuned so that it plays a major chord with no strings pressed, and you lay one finger across to bar different major chords. This works in some situations, but still limits what you can and can't play. We'll see how it works for me. Sorry this email ended up, uh, ended up a lot a little longer than I intended. I get super excited to spout off about our freaky alien bodies. Side note, <laughs> would love some sort of an episode someday about body specialization in humans, especially with athletes. Ever seen a picture of different athletes standing next to each other like gymnast and a basketball player? It's crazy that performance optimization can look so different. Love the show so much and hope you're doing well. Thank you for what you do. Oh, thanks, Hannah. And I totally get you at the end here. I'm not really into sports. I don't really follow sports at all. But there's one thing that always amazes me, which is when uh, when the I can't remember which Olympics it is. It's summer or winter. But one of the Olympics has gymnastics. And whenever Rachel watches that, I'm always kind of entranced. Like, I can't believe gymnasts are real people. What they're doing looks impossible. Yeah, it is. It is just amazing to behold. All right, we got another message from our listener, Aaron, about uh, athletics and fingernails. Aaron says, hey, all, I've been listening to your show through multiple hosts for years. I'm super thankful that you've done your best to go deeper and deeper as the years go on. You've educated me and sent me down some of the oddest corners of the Internet in the best way possible. You asked in fingernails part two if there are any odd uses for fingernails. Well, I have one for you. I am a former Olympic weightlifter and have had the pleasure to represent the United States at multiple junior and senior world championships. Early in my career, I met a fellow weightlifter from Greece. I noticed how long his thumbnail was and only his thumbnail. I was super curious, so I asked him about it as best I could. We hit a standstill, so we found a translator. After she translated my question, he laughed. It's for weightlifting, he said, and I inquired how. 
Well, little known to me at the time, there is a rule that you can tape your thumbs as long as the tip of the finger can be seen. This might not seem like a big deal, but in weightlifting, we use something called a hook grip in which the four fingers wrap around your thumb, pretty much the opposite of how any human grabs an object. This gives you an advantage by being able to hold more weight in your hand while performing the lift. Now, the tape and the thumbnail length come in here. My friend explained to me that if you let your thumbnail grow out longer, you can tape further down your thumb, thus making your thumb longer. Looking for any advantage possible, I grew my thumbnail out to about an inch past what I normally would. I then taped it, and wow, did it help a ton. The interesting part for me was I always bite my nails. I still do, actually, but I have never bit my thumbnail for risk of damaging my advantage. I've stopped lifting competitively for about eight years now, and I cannot cut my thumbnail still. It still feels too foreign and uncomfortable. Anyway, sorry for the long story, but I thought it was interesting enough to write in. Thank you again for all you do to educate us in the populace. Hope y'all are staying strong and hopefully plenty of front yard lightsaber battles. Be well, Aaron. <laughs> yeah, that is referring to a tidbit I shared Yeah, about um, having lightsaber battles with my son in my front yard, and then he would sometimes run to the side yard and leave me exposed, um, battling no one in the front yard, <laughs> want people to drive by. Uh, but this, uh, yeah, this anecdote about the weightlifting and the growing out of the thumbnails, this is, this is fabulous. I just had no idea. This, this really uh, blew me away. Yeah, totally. Really interesting. Thanks for getting in touch. Okay, we got another one about nails and mythology. So this comes from Carolina. Carolina says, The episode on fingernails reminded me of a creation myth from the Mayan sacred book, the Popol Vuh, in which 400 boys attempt to murder the demigod Zipakna by asking him to dig a post hole for them and then burying him in it. He overheard their plans and dug a side hole to save himself. The 400 boys conclude Zipakna is really dead when they see ants crawl up out of the ground carrying his fingernails. Here is an excerpt from a literal translation by Alan J. Christensen from Mesa Web Publications. And uh, so in this translation, I just want to say I some of the phrasing sounds strange, but I looked this up and this is Christensen's translation. I think the odd grammar of it comes from the fact that it's kind of a transliteration that looks like it's attempting to preserve word order of the original more than it's trying to make it sound fluid in English. So it goes like this. Then assembled ants, they walk about, they swarm, then they gathered beneath tree. Everywhere they carry with their teeth, hair, they carry with their teeth as well as his nails, Zipakna. Then they saw, therefore, the boys, he was finished, the demon. Look at surely ants, they gathered hither, they assembled hither. Everywhere hair they carry with their teeth, there are his nails that can be seen surely. We did it at last, they said to each other. He therefore the Zipakna merely alive. He cut off its hair his head. Merely as well he gnaws off his nails. He gives them away to them the ants. Thus he died, they thought, 580s boys. And the 580s, that's 400, not five boys from the 1980s. Okay. Uh, uh, so uh, Carolina continues, Zibakna kills the 400 boys by collapsing their house on them. They then rose into the sky, becoming stars. 
I read a very similar legend from Micronesia and thought it was strange to have such similar myths from such far-flung places, until one day when I was clipping my fingernails outside and saw ants carrying away the clippings. I have no (laughs) idea what ants use fingernails for. Maybe they think that they're dead bugs. I can see how such a disconcerting image could crop up in creation myths around the world. For most of my life, I grew my fingernails long and tapered them to points. I liked looking like I had claws and having such a visible signifier of nonconformity. I didn't play sports, throw clay, or participate in other activities where long nails would be a hindrance. I was so used to having them long that when I decided to cut them short after deciding long nails no longer reflected my identity, I found some things more difficult, such as doing needlework or otherwise grasping at small objects. I used to pick up very small objects by scooping them up with a nail. Right after cutting my nails, the increased sensation made my finger tips tingle thanks for such a consistently thought-provoking podcast best regards carolina i'd say carolina this is a very thought-provoking email thank you so much yeah there's a there's a lot to uh comment on here first of all i, I love the um uh, the story here uh from uh, purple vu and uh you know th- of course that instantly makes me think of the the german music collective purple vu uh, who mm-hmm. did um, who did the soundtrack for a number of Werner Herzog films, including Aguirre, The Wrath of God? Yeah, uh, has that the wonderful um, uh, you know South American pipe uh, sound in it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, certainly, somebody I've listened to uh, a fair amount in the last couple of years. Oh, when you first came across them, did you not realize they were named after the uh, the Mayan story? Uh, I made that connection pretty pretty quickly, but but they uh. were. They're they're probably the first thing I think of though when I uh, think of Popplevue. I'm like, oh yeah, I like them. They're yeah. good. <laughs> they put out some good soundtracks. Um, uh, the the other thing uh, that's interesting about the ants because when it was first brought up, the idea of ants carrying off fingernail clippings, I thought, well, clearly that's somebody saw leafcutter ants in action, and you kind of think, well, what if they were carrying fingernail clippings instead of a mm-hmm. uh, vegetation? And that was what I was expecting to be like the basic connection there. But then the idea that that they have been observed to carry off fingernails, that turns that on its head. Totally. That's really interesting. I've never seen that before, but I feel like I got to look that up now. Yeah. Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. Rob, as the uh, the local host with allergies here, they sent you some of their nasal spray to treat your allergies. What was your experience like? Yeah, that's right. I always wrestle with the pollen a bit when it rolls in during the spring. So they sent me the little uh, nasal spray. I tried out the product and yeah, it sure did help me get on top of my symptoms for the day. And it's so fast acting, uh, it was already kicking in before I left the house. Astapro is a first-of-its-kind nasal allergy spray. It's the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes, while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. Astapro delivers full prescription-strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can get Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. Astapro and go. Uses directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Today's episode is brought to you by eBay. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then, through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. 
Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. (laughs) People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy. And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh, great. You see me too. We'll laugh together. We'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Okay, do we want to finish up nails with one last message from Bethany? Sure. This one comes to us from Bethany. Hi, Robert and Joe. I've been thinking a lot about your episodes on fingernails and have a handful, pun intended, of anecdotes to share. I started playing violin about a year ago after a decade-long break and have noticed that my nails are growing much more quickly than they used to. I'm left-handed, so that combined with the extra use of my left-hand fingertips means that my nails are growing at warp speed, which is really a bummer when I realize they're too long and I need to trim them again. Violin playing requires my nails on the hand to be very short, and they can damage the wood of the neck of the instrument, or they can get caught on the strings and can cause that awful teeth twining nails on a chalkboard feeling. Ugh. My my husband teases me every time I only trim my left hand nails and leave the right ones, but honestly, the right side doesn't grow that quickly. 
Now for a couple of gross stories. My husband and I moved into a beautiful home about two years ago. It had stood empty for about three years and was fully ready to move in. We had to do some of the standard painting and cleaning, but nothing too terrible. I remember the first time I went through the drawers of the master bedroom. I cleaned out all of the drawers and cabinets with pretty standard bathroom debris, some stray hairs, toothpaste, etc. Nothing too labor-intensive, but a tiny bit gross. The last drawer was full of the previous owner's fingernail clippings. (laughs) It was so, so gross. I couldn't touch them. I made my husband take care of them. What a great horror movie this could become. A beautiful home, except all the drawers are full of the previous owner's fingernail clippings. You know, I have to say, Joe, this reminds me, this is not fingernails, but have you ever encountered an old um, uh, bathroom mirror medicine cabinet that has the slot in the back of it where you deposit razor blades? Oh, yeah, yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. I thought you were going to say, have you ever opened like an old bathroom cabinet that had somebody else's hair in it? Which, yes. But no, I know what you're talking about with the razor blades. Never anywhere I've lived, but I've seen that before. I've only encountered it like once, but I mean, clearly it was a a mass manufactured thing. And like there was an idea at one point where it's like, yeah, as you use up your razor blades, instead of throwing them away, what if they went through a hole in your wall and then fell down into either the crawl space or just sort of in between the walls of your house and accumulated there. Like that is just so strange and and weirdly mysterious. And it Mm -hmm. reminds me of some of these uh, traditions I've read about before about depositing hair and fingernails within the walls of the house because that would be a safer place for them to be uh, so that, you know, evil things cannot acquire them. Yeah, it's kind of like the ossuary churches, the the buildings that are built with the bones in the walls. Yeah. So, so if anyone out there, if you've ever if you're involved in like demo or reconstruction, remodeling and all, I'd love to know what happens when you you open up that wall behind that uh, uh, one of these um, these these uh, medicine cabinets. Like, what is it like? What's back there? Is it just full of razor blades, rusty old razor blades, haunted razor blades? I, I have to know. Anyway, Bethany continues. Finally, there's something about other people's nails and teeth that just grosses me out so much. My husband and I have been hosting a foster kiddo for about a month, and he's lost three teeth. They're all in an envelope and will be shipped to his forever home. Similarly, I've been dealing with my nine-year-old stepson's teeth and nails for years now, dealing with disembodied teeth and an invisible pixie that steals them from under a pillow while he's sleeping is bad enough, but walking in on my child, chewing on his toenails, and he's watching TV definitely makes me question where I've gone wrong as a parent. Cue some horrified laughter. I've seen a lot of fingernail biting. I've never seen toenail biting, but that seems much more doable for a kid who's more flexible, I guess. Oh, yeah. These kids are crazy flexible. Um, the, 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 the loose teeth thing is certainly can be a little wiggy because, uh, yeah, they'll come up to you and there's like a tooth flapping. And yeah. they're like, they're like, help me rip this out, you know, because there's this, you, they, they want the teeth gone. They, they, there's something about like, they want, you know, there's the tooth fairy idea on one hand that, you know, they'll, they'll be able to trade this for money with some sort of otherworldly spirit, mm-hmm. but also just the idea of, of like other kids are losing their teeth. I want to lose some of my teeth too. And you tell them like, don't mess with it. It'll come out on its own. It's, it's leaving your head. You don't need to accentuate it because you're just going to get blood everywhere. And of course they end up wiggling it until it comes out and there's blood <laughs> and it's a whole scene. Anyway, Bethany continues. I would be interested to know if there's some connection between nails and teeth. I know that when my nails get snagged or scraped or something like a violin string or rigged, uh, rigid hard surface like concrete or wood, my teeth almost hurt. Compounded with my reaction to the kid's teeth and nails, just something else to think about. 
Anyway, I'm sure that's enough fingernail talk for you. Thanks for your podcast that keeps me occupied, whether I'm sitting at my desk at work at a public library that's currently open or doing laundry at home. I've been inspired to start a Lord of the Rings reread rewatch this fall and to rekindle my love of Queen by listening to I'm in love with my car on repeat after your vault episode. Our cars, our bodies, our minds. Keep up the great conversations. I'm in love with my car is one of my favorite just absolutely stupid rock anthems it is one of the dumbest (laughs) songs ever written and it's really good (laughs) gotta feel for my automobile (laughs) all right uh i guess we're done with nails for now so this next message came to us in response to our episode on lichens and this is from sophia (laughs) sophia says hi robert and joe I believe this is my third time writing to you. I'm an evolutionary biologist, and I'd just like to point out an inspiring thought related to the kinds of symbiosis that we observe in lichens. Everything on Earth that photosynthesizes, except for cyanobacteria, is a product of symbiosis. There is always a photosynthetic component and a non-photosynthetic component. This appears to be such a go-to strategy for many organisms that I don't think we can even estimate how many times this happened. All plants are a product of ancient endosymbiosis. Um, that's me intern, like a, a symbiosis in which one organism sort of swallows another or takes another mm-hmm. inside. Uh, picking up between a prokaryotic photosynthetic organism, now chloroplasts and other plastids, and a proto-eukaryote. Moreover, some kinds of algae have chloroplasts with one or two additional membranes surrounding the existing two membranes of primary plastids. These extra membranes likely formed due to secondary endosymbiosis. Roughly speaking, a cell engulfed another cell, after which at some point it was itself engulfed by another cell, etc. And in some cases, probably even tertiary endosymbioses. Lichens seem to be a more recent example of an in some ways similar evolutionary strategy, but the components still maintain a high level of independence. Now, if we look at the animal kingdom, we also find something similar. In corals, there's a primary animal component which strongly depends on its photosynthetic algal symbionts. If they're lost for an extended period of time due to increased water temperatures, uh, coral bleaching, the corals die. So in this case, at least the animal already went far enough down the evolutionary path in the direction of obligate symbiosis, being tied to this algal organism necessary to survive. I find it fascinating imagining what uh, photosynthetic life on Earth might look like in millions of years. There might very well be many different kinds of obligate symbiotic organisms that would in many ways look and behave like modern plants, but having very different life histories. Some of them may have animal and algal origins, others fungal and bacterial or algal, etc., As always, thanks for the great show. Can't wait for more inspiring episodes. Sophia. Uh, Yeah, that is all really interesting. So uh, thank you for getting in touch, uh, Sophia. And I I do love thinking about how the, the, I don't know, the tree of life that we often imagine is not just sort of like branches split off and then all go their own way. There's, There's actually a fair bit of sort of regrowing together of branches. And that's inspiring. That's inspiring. (laughs) 
All right. Uh, here's another one. This comes to us from John. This also has to do with lichen. And, and this this is, I really love this one. This one's a, a great little bit of listener mail. Hi, Robert and Joe. I've been listening to Stuff to Blow Your Mind for years, but have never felt I had a good reason to write in until your most recent episode about lichens. When you mentioned the lichens of the Arctic article by James Walton. Uh, and this, uh, by the way, this was published um, on the National Park Service uh, website. Uh, yeah, Lichens of the Arctic by James Walton, National Park Service. Uh, anyway, uh, John continues here. I did a double take at the time. I've been fortunate enough to do vegetation monitoring work with James at the boreal forest of Lake Clark National Park in southwestern Alaska and can tell you that he really knows his flora. When he walked along uh, 30-meter transects of moss, undergrowth, and spruce trees, James would instantly and accurately ID the organisms that we passed, including the numerous mosses and lichens. Anyway, it was fun to hear you mention him in the podcast. If you're looking for episode ideas, how about one uh, on the salmon runs of the North Pacific? The early salmon run is an important event for bears, commercial fisheries, and, um, and anglers alike. It has unique economic, cultural, and ecological significance for communities across the North Pacific and is threatened by climate change, poor fisheries management, and dam building. Worth a look. Best, John. Oh, that is a great idea for an episode. We, we should yeah, write yeah. that down. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's certainly come up in research before. I don't know if we've really mentioned it much on the show before, but yeah, it's like a fat. There's a fascinating biological story there. There's a story of humans interfering with it, and then also some innovations that have been at least proposed, if not implemented, to uh, to help them out. Like I think there has been a a, a salmon cannon, cannon, salmon cannon that has <laughs> been suggested at times to sort of like launch them uh, upward uh, over dams and whatnot. Did you first say camen salmon? Like salmon's salmon, have been they've salmon, been out camen, there camen. Yeah. <laughs> salmon salmon jamming salmon cannon. Yes. Uh, so that that would make for an interesting episode. And and uh, and again, I just love the idea that you know we this is just a source I came across, and it's neat to hear some of the human story uh, behind the individual responsible for it. Yeah, it was wonderful. Uh, so thanks for getting in touch. Okay, we got a lot of responses to our episodes about mushroom foraging. Again, sorry we can't get to them all. We're uh, picking out a few here. One I just wanted to mention briefly was Thomas got in touch because in the mushroom foraging episodes, uh, we ended up talking about whether it was safe to drink milk produced by a goat who had, who had eaten a oh, bunch yes. of poison ivy. And uh, Tom got in touch to share an article by a North Carolina state professor of crop and soil sciences named J.M. Lugenbuhl. And he writes in this article that research shows that toxic compounds from poison oak, ivy, and sumac are not passed on to the milk of goats, so it should be safe. Uh, I guess that's potentially good news, but I, I'd still say, I guess, please nobody go drink you know, poison oak goat milk because you heard it here. Do your own research first. Check it out. Yeah, uh, so this was me that said that, uh, that, that threw that in really quickly, uh, just kind of as an offhand, because I think I had heard that at some point. Uh, I, I researched it after we received this email, and yeah, it does seem that uh, that it does. That I've run across a couple of studies, or at least two studies referring to the same thing here, that uh, that you don't have to worry about uh, poison um, ivy or uh, poison oak, etc., passing through to the milk. But I also ran across an article that I, I can't completely vouch for yet that I need to return to about the idea of psychedelic goat milk, Whoa. about psychedelic compounds surviving 
uh, and becoming part of goat milk. And perhaps I think the author was arguing it could have played into various traditions in the past. I don't know. Uh, don't take my word on that one either. Uh, that one requires more research. But I, I love the idea of magical goats passing on their magical milk uh, to early humans. It's an insight from dairy farmer, uh, Farmer McKenna. He <laughs> yeah. had some great things to, to share on the subject. No, we, we should come back to that. I, I want to learn more. Yeah. Today's episode is brought to you by eBay. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh, great, you see me too. We'll laugh together. We'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. 
Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. So let's see. We, we definitely have some more mushroom um mail here. Like you said, we got a lot of it. We had to sort through it because the thing about uh, mushroom uh, emails is that, you know, some of them look fine until you start reading them. And then, uh, you know, (laughs) suddenly you can have a a really dire reaction to them. So you got to be choosy. Uh, Mm -hmm. Sometimes the good emails and the bad emails look remarkably alike. Uh, So here's one of the good ones uh, from Joseph. A few thoughts on mushrooms. I couldn't believe you didn't bring up hobbits in the hobbit metabolism episode since they are particularly fond of mushrooms. It is true. Hobbits love mushrooms. Mycophilic. The Shire. Yeah, they are. Yeah. Yeah. Mordor is mycophobic, I would say. You think so? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I, I, I guess it's hard to imagine mushrooms really thriving there. Yeah. All right. Joseph continues... I have not been foraging, but I have been attempting to grow mushrooms in a closet at home for the last few months. No luck yet, but I will keep trying. As to toxicity, when I was in high school, I played in a band. Some people assumed since I was a guitar player, I must have been into illicit drugs. I was approached by some fellow students and invited to go shroom hunting. I made up an excuse not to go and forgot about it. A few days later, I found out they were in the ICU because they had picked the wrong type. Whoa. Lastly, mushrooms might be the first food eaten just because they taste good and not because of caloric or uh, nutritional value. The nutritional value is really low compared to other foods. There are over seven times the calories in venison as in mushrooms. Salmon has nearly 10 times as many calories for an equivalent weight of mushrooms. Sure, there are some vitamins and minerals, some fiber, and some species have a little protein, but not nearly as much as plants and animals. I believe hunter-gatherers ate them when they, well, there was nothing else, but also continued to eat them when denser nutrition options were available simply because they were tasty. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so that's the full email. Interesting. Yeah, this got me thinking about other foods that we eat that have a pretty low caloric density. I mean, uh, for example, low starch vegetables, vegetables like celery or like leafy greens, you would kind of have to eat a disgusting amount of these foods in order to get a day's worth of calories. So it seems like we do eat them, but we eat them for a reason other than, you know, filling up and getting energy from them. I don't know if there's a disgusting amount of spinach, though. I can I can eat spinach all day. No, I, I love spinach. and I, Sometimes I, love... I do eat it all day. You know, you have it in, in your smoothie in the mm-hmm. morning. Then you have it in like a quesadilla or something at lunch. And then it factors into whatever you're having for dinner as well. Actually, one pasta dish I really like to make has uh, – it has roasted mushrooms. And it, I used to make it with roasted mushrooms and spinach and like a, like a pecorino cheese. But mm-hmm. I've recently discovered that actually I think kale holds up better than spinach in the dish because the spinach wilts just a little too easily. The kale yeah. is a little bit hardier. You've ever been to a pizza place where they don't have spinach as a topping? Oh, I, I don't know. I don't usually look for it, but I'd be into it. It should be there. It should be offered at least, <laughs> in my opinion. Well, speaking of pizza, let's go to our next email about mushroom foraging. Uh, I think there there's some translation issues on this one, but I'll do my best. This is from Jakob. 
Jakob says, uh, welcome. It starts with a quote, welcome beings from an afterlife. And then, uh, Jakob explains that this is the Polish greeting in Voyager one. It seems like someone confused cosmology with ghosts when they were doing the translation there. Mm. <laughs> um, but, uh, Jakob says being Polish, it was really great to hear someone to hear that anyone in the Western world quotes Pan Tadeusz that I had to read in high school as a mandatory book. In a context other than PhD study on Slavic poetry, I cannot imagine the process that led you to quote this poem. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, I think that happens a lot on our show. We we often hear from people who say, I have no idea how you ended up reading X, Y, or Z. Well, our research is often like the idea of someone following a trail through the woods and then you see something off to the side, maybe Mm -hmm. a, a fairy ring or some mushrooms and you go out to look at it. And sometimes we get a little bit lost in the woods, yes. but we, but in doing so, we find sometimes some, some very remarkable things. Totally. I mean, I, I loved our segment on Pan Tadeusz. I, I don't mm-hmm. regret it at all. Uh, but, but Jakob continues, says, if you like such stories, I recommend a more modern book, The Wedding by uh, Stanislav Vispiansky. Mushroom foraging is indeed part of our culture and visiting other countries and continents. It was hard for me to understand why people there do not like to wander the woods to do it. Being raised at the end of communism in Poland, it seemed mushroom foraging was part of every holiday anywhere close to the woods. Referring to poisoning with mushrooms, I honestly do not know how much vodka you need to drink to confuse Macrolepiota proxera with Amanita virosa or Amanita phalloides. These mushrooms do not look, smell, or feel the same, but unfortunately some people die every year because of that. If you like consuming mushrooms, I have a good hint. Try Armillaria melia. Unfortunately, you will have a hard time to find it in North America as a pizza topping. I send you a picture when I make one. It goes very well with a glass of Primitivo. As I do not eat animal products, I tried most widely available mushrooms as pizza toppings, and this one wins the contest for me. However, uh, Armillaria melia uh, does it as well quite good. By the way, I remember the episode about biophilia, but do not remember one about aquaphilia. By that, I mean a phenomenon that people like to spend time by the water. Long-time listener, first-time emailing, Jacob. Oh, wow. There's a lot of good stuff in that that email, for sure. Surely you love mushrooms on pizza, right? (laughs) Uh, Me? Oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I love mushrooms in pretty much anything. Well, not the smoothie. I guess we're not putting, we don't put them in the morning smoothie. But I'll I'll have them on an omelet or something in the morning. Yeah, that sounds great. All right, here's another one. This one comes to us from Nancy regarding eggs. They write, My neighbor turned me on to podcasts, and I'm hooked. I chanced upon your show and have enjoyed each episode and look forward to listening to more. I have also told about five people I know about podcasts and recommend your show. I have to react to your podcast about the exploding egg. I taught commercial food service to high school students, uh, age students at a career center in Cadillac, uh, Michigan, a small town in the scheme of things. Uh, we had a large commercial kitchen and a dining room that could seat 100. We served lunch four days a week for about two-thirds of the year. One day during lunch, a student waited on a gentleman who wanted two hard-boiled eggs with toast, which wasn't on our menu. But she took the order and brought it to the kitchen. 
Because hard-cooked eggs take a relatively long time to cook for a restaurant order, the student cook decided to improvise. She grabbed two hard-cooked eggs out of a large bucket of hard-cooked eggs, which are available through commercial food providers. These eggs are processed and sit in a liquid bath. I'm not sure the composition of the solution, but it must contain some ingredients that keep the eggs usable for at least two weeks. She microwaved these eggs and prepared the plate for takeout. I was in the dining room when the students served the eggs, not aware of what uh, had happened in the kitchen. There were about six tables with customers in the dining room at the time. I happened to be facing the gentleman when he pierced the egg with his fork. Boom! The egg exploded and sprayed a 10-foot circle of tiny pieces of cooked egg on the guy and around the table and floor. Of course, everyone's eyes turned to see what had happened. It was a mess, and the guy had egg all over him. Luckily, he was very nice about it. The egg brushed off his clothing easily, and we were able to move him and prepare something else. These commercial eggs are available to prep uh, hard-cooked eggs for salads, stuffed eggs, etc., but not to microwave. Buckets of eggs come in various sizes depending on the restaurant's needs. It was a real learning experience, and the students loved the teachable moment. Looking back, it was hilarious, and it worked out well for all of us. I sent this because I did not hear this particular reason for the exploding egg, which was egg, which was not a freshly cooked egg, at least that's what I'm assuming, like the ones used in your experiments. Is there a searchable list of topics? Although I enjoy all that I have heard, friends ask about particular subjects, such as animals, and it would be nice to start them there to pique their interests. I also would like to look up particular topics. I'm truly impressed by the depth of research and documentation you do for your podcast. I look forward to listening uh, to more of your work. Thank you, Nancy. Well, Nancy, I would say to start with the least fun part of your uh, email, I would say, unfortunately, our podcast has become less searchable in recent times. Uh, that's not due to decisions on our part. Yeah, um, uh, I would say whatever, however you're getting the podcast or however your uh, your friends might be getting the podcast, it, the best bet is to try and search within that framework. So if you're listening to a show at um at uh, on iHeartRadio um you know is a, then you can search there or if you're in iTunes try searching there like doing a search for stuff to blow your mind plus animals because we've certainly recorded a, a number of episodes about animals over the years if our website is ever brought back from the internet dead by uh, digital necromancy we will immediately let everyone know and that that will be the best way to search for things once again yeah yeah uh, but yeah, oh, oh, I love this story. So, of course, in the eggs episode, we talked about the phenomenon of exploding hard-boiled eggs. This is something that apparently happens pretty frequently when you microwave a previously hard-boiled egg in it. Uh, we don't know for sure why it happens, but it seems like a good candidate explanation is that there are little pockets of water in the yolk that get trapped by the matrix of proteins there and get superheated. And then when they get exposed to lower pressure by cutting open the egg, they suddenly rapidly expand and just pop and blow all over the place. I'm sure it would be terrifying to have this happen to you if you didn't know it was a possibility. All right. Well, th thanks for writing in. We appreciate that. And it's always great to hear from from new listeners who discover, you know, what we've what we're putting out, what we've put out in the past and what we're going to continue to put out here in the future. Totally. Uh, now, we a lot of listeners got in touch about episodes that we did this October, our, our standard October episodes like Anthology of Horror, The Leshy, The Minotaur. I think we're probably going to come back and read some of those uh, messages in our first uh, flaming barrel chat or wh whatever we end up calling it our weekly listener mail related offering but just to wrap up today i did want to say that a bunch of listeners got in touch to say nice things about weird house cinema so we we really appreciate all of the love and feedback about that our, our new episodes that are uh about our 
you probably know by now that we have a passion for strange B movies, uh, you know, odd films that aren't going to make it onto any mainstream lists. And so we've been looking at those in these recent Weird House episodes. Those have been a lot of fun. It seems like you've mostly been enjoying them. I think we heard from one person who wasn't really complaining, but just said, yeah, not really for me. But otherwise, all, all the feedback has been wonderful, and it, it's, it's been really encouraging. But uh, Robert, do you want to read this message from Scott? Oh, yes. Scott writes, Dear Stuff to Blow Your Mind, Weird House Cinema is an absolute delight. Thank you for sharing the joy of schlock movies with the masses. I've noticed Robert Lamb introduces himself as Rob in both episodes of Weird House Cinema released so far. Is this a signal that he's really letting his hair down to discuss the likes of Without Warning and Troll 2? Best, Scott. Uh, yeah, I, I would. I guess so. You know, it's this is like the um, like the part in Mister Rogers' Neighborhood where he changes uh, sweaters. You know, uh, it comes in from the outside uh, and uh, and uh, is uh, is going to share uh, you know some uh, some stories. Go to the neighborhood of make believe. That's uh, that's kind of what Weird House Cinema is to me. Well, I'm sorry I've been sort of uh, cross-contaminating because I realized I've been calling you Rob on regular Stuff to Blow Your Mind episodes. So I, I apologize no, no, if no, I've no. been I mean, trying still... to jam the sweater onto you while you're not willing. <laughs> it's not that uh, that fiercely thought out a concept. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm Rob or Robert in, in most uh, situations. Put the sweater on. But has anyone ever called you Bert? I don't know if I've been a Bert before. I've been just about everything else. Uh, Robbie as a kid. Uh, I think my... So my great grandmother called me Robin. So yeah, I mean, every there's so many variations on it, and I, I think I've been all of them before. Do you know are some Berts Roberts or are all Berts like Burtons or whatever? I don't know. We'll have to ask some Berts. Berts of the world, Bert yeah. listeners, let us know. We'd love to hear from you. We're going to go ahead and close out the <laughs> listener mail mailbag for today. But obviously, a again, we we didn't have time to get into everything here. Uh, B, we're going to come back and we're going to do listener mail. Uh, on a more regular basis, so stay tuned. And then see, yeah, write in. Let us know. Is your name Bert? Have you ever watched an egg explode? Ever seen a bad movie? <laughs> All these things are on the table. Tell us about the Bert life. Yeah, tell the Bert life. How do you how do you live it? What's it like? In the meantime, if you want to listen to other episodes of Stuff to Blow Your Mind, you can find us wherever you get your podcast and wherever that happens to be. We just ask that you rate, review, and subscribe. You can also find us by going to stufftoblowyourmind.com. That will shoot you over to the iHeart listing for our show. And on that page, there's a button. It's called Shop or Store. I don't remember. You click on that. It'll take you to a place where you can buy a T-shirt or a sticker or a tote bag or what have you that has our logo on it or a monster design. There's some cool new ones. There's one with Pandora on it. Go check it out. Uh, See them for yourself. Huge thanks, as always, to our excellent audio producer, Seth Nicholas Johnson. If you would like to get in touch with us with feedback on this episode or any other, to suggest a topic for the future, to tell us about the bird experience, or just to say hello, you can email us at contact at stufftoblowyourmind.com. Stuff to Blow Your Mind is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. The future of wireless is here, and it's transparent. 
Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. Just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. No hidden fees, no surprises, no, really. What are you waiting for? Get with the times and switch to Visible at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. (laughs) People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A rested child is a happy child. Sleep Tight Stories is a weekly podcast that brings comfort and joy to families worldwide with calming bedtime stories. The stories are relevant to children and spark wonder without overstimulation, so they can fall asleep and stay asleep. Listen to Sleep Tight Stories on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. For a bedtime routine you'll miss when they're grown, Sleep Tight Stories. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. Join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. We gather a seasoned elder, myself as the middle generation, and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations, prepare to engage or hear perspectives that literally no one else has had. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 